Hello, fellow planeswalkers, and welcome to Into the Ether Vortex. My name's Ninzaboy, your guide into all the different ways you can enjoy Magic the Gathering and how they all come together into something wild, wacky, and a little bit magical. Hope everyone's been doing well this month. Uh, a couple of housekeeping items. First, I know that like the day before this episode came out, Wizards just announced their plans to launch Beyond Universes or Universes Beyond uh, with you know official crossovers with Warhammer 40k and Lord of the Rings and retroactively adding the Walking Dead secret layer to all that. Uh, I'm not going to talk about this episode. Plus, you know, it's way too soon to tell exactly how they're going to turn out. And we're getting flooded with Time Spiral or Mastered previews right now. So uh, if you're looking to that, uh, maybe another episode down the line. Uh, and to that end, I also have another announcement. Uh, while it's been about, it's still another two months or so until Into the Ether Vortex is a year old, some of the podcasts I do produce recently crossed that benchmark. And as you guys know, I'm just a single guy working on these podcasts, and so my capacity to output episodes is somewhat limited, uh, hence the recent decision to make this so specifically monthly instead of bi-weekly as it was in the past. However, I also promised myself that if I were to podcast for a year straight and still wanted to do it afterwards, I'd try to find a way to at least make it uh, give me some sort of return, if at least to defray the costs of producing the show, so it's not entirely out of pocket. Uh, to that end, I'm launching a Patreon to support all the shows I produce on the Ninja Boy Media Network, be it my movie podcast, my anime podcast, this magic podcast, or any number of more ambitious projects I'm undertaking. Uh, if you feel so inclined to support the show more directly, feel free to check out the link in the show notes so you can sign up. Uh, you can donate whatever amount you're comfortable doing so. Uh, at higher tiers, you can directly you can help me direct the content of specific episodes uh, because this is a monthly show and you know I still want to have my decision on what I want to do. Um, that means that likely if you support at this tier and want me to do a specific topic on the show, um, I'll produce a full bonus episode each month for Into the Ether Vortex. Uh, don't worry, the show is not going to be going up behind the paywall. It'll still always be free to listen to wherever you're doing so now, but I would love to dive deeper into the content creation and find a way to make it more financially viable, hence the Patreon. Uh, in any case, enough housekeeping, let's take a look and see how my Kaldheim experience has been going so far since the set released. Uh, as is the case since the pandemic began and with this since this podcast started, I've done most, if not all, of my magic playing over Magic Arena. And for those who know me, I'm a bit of a limited fiend. Uh, the February season of Arena is coming to a close this weekend, and I'm currently sitting at Platinum 4 in Limited, which is why I usually end up at Arena, um, just because my win weights aren't high enough to, you know, get past that. Um, and I'm also, and, you know, I, I roughly spend about $20 a week or so purchasing gems to be able to play. Uh, roughly what I would have spent if I went to my LGS for to do drafts, uh, in normal times, uh, and I've gotten 22 drafts in actually, all of those best of one. Um, 18 of those 22 drafts were necessary for me to get to Platinum, the other four uh, haven't been doing so hot afterwards that, so I'll focus on the pre-Platinum games because I think that's more interesting here. Um, plus, you know, I feel like there's a bit of a mental block I have about advancing past Platinum, I don't know. And anyway, uh, overall, my record for games pre-Platinum has been 65-52, to 52, just about a 55% win rate. Out of the 18 drafts I've done, I've had 2 7 twos, 1 6 3, 1 5 3, 4 4 threes, 6 3 threes, 1 2 3 and 1 3 each, and then 2 bustering out at 0 3. Uh, breaking it down into the specific colors, I've drafted 8 white tiles. 
sorry, I've read it eight white eight times and spasted it twice, uh, mostly for an attempt to foretell at foretell synergies with the uncommon blue white saga and the blue white legendary Vega, which hasn't really worked out all that much, honestly. And then also once for the black white rare saga. Uh, Blue, I've played four times and splashed twice, uh, again for the blue-white foretell synergies, and once for an avalanche caller in a snow pile deck. Uh, black, I've played the most at nine times, splashing it thrice. Oh, splash, sorry, splashing it twice, uh, both for bombs, Sir Wolf, uh, Binding of the Old Gods, and Virgoth, and then once for Binding uh, the, um, of the Old Gods as a Saga. Uh, both of these were my 5-3 and 6-3 respectively, so pretty good call in my opinion. Uh, red, I've played six times and splashed for once uh, to help out in the snow pile. Uh, and then green, I've played nine times and splashed once in the blue-red snow deck to get that, uh, that Spirit of the Aldegard uh, green bear that gets bigger with all the snow permanents. Uh, looking at all the color pairs, I've actually played every color pair once at least uh, with splashes with the exception of blue-green shape sifters. Uh, overall, again, excluding my, my splashes, red is my most winningest color at 58.5% win rate over 41 games. Uh, of course, you know, obviously the more winning I am, uh, that means that I, I go the distance and have more games in general. Um, this, however, makes sense since it was my 7-2 red-white aggro deck, which puts me into platinum, and my 5-3 red-green splash black aggro deck, um, as well as 2-4-3 decks. Um, now, just barely in second place, uh, behind red is uh, white at a 58.2% win rate over 55 games. Uh, again, one of my best decks being the 7-2 white, white aggro deck, as well as a 6-3 white, green, splash, black, go white deck, plus two four threes. Um, it seems, you know, that, that the conception that, you know, the format is mostly green pile decks, green snow pile decks, or uh, red, white aggro seems to bear out here, um, given that my more aggressive white and red decks seem to do, do the best. Um, Let's see. Uh, in third place um, is Green, you know, with a 54.4% win rate over 57 games. Again, the black green uh, elves deck uh, that, that helped me get over the top uh, was helped here, as well as that same green white splash black go white 6 3 deck and the 5 3 red green splash red splash black aggro deck, um, plus another 4 3. Um, though green also does have my only 1 3 and one of my 0 3s. Uh, black has a 50% win rate over 52 games. Uh, it's my most boomer bust color. One of my 7-2s to black green deck, but also both of my 0-3s were in black, and then everything else in black was a 3-3, 50%. And then finally, last my least played color and least winning color also is blue with only 23 games in a 47.8% win rate. I do have four threes, but also an 0-3 as well. So I do want to highlight my two best decks, you know, the last uh, two 7-2s that pushed me over the edge into Platinum. Um, I've posted both of these to my Twitter timeline as well as to the limited resources subreddit uh, if you want to take a look at the deck lists. Uh, first off, we have my Black Green Elves deck with only a single rare, actually. My Pack 1, Pick 1, Elvis Warmaster, the one in the green Elven Warrior Tutu, who creates an elf the first time another elf enters the battlefield each of my turns, or each turn, uh, and can pay 5 green green to pump the team and grant everyone death touch. Uh, other than that, I ran 14 elves total, uh, plus 3 changelings, uh, plus the living weapon elf, uh, sorry, the, the elf living weapon, uh, with my only non-elf being Finn the Fangbearer, which to some degree synergizes uh, with the uh, death touch uh, pump at the end there from, from Elvis Warmaster. 
um, you know, this included these fourteen elves included three Elder Fang disciples, the one black elf cleric, one one who enters the battlefield to make the opponent discard a card, as well as three Scamfor Shadow Mages, the three B, uh, three and a black two five who deal enters the battlefield to deal that make the damage, uh, you know, make the opponent lose damage, uh, lose life equal to the number of elves I control. Technically, the little creature type with the most I have, but it's always going to be elves. Uh, elves I control uh, or gain that much life, um, which ended up being my finisher for most games. Uh, I also had the th three Grizzle Outriders, the vanilla uh, three and a green, uh, oh, sorry, four and a green five five elf warrior, uh, two elderly mentors that bring an elf token, uh, and a return upon the time that makes elf tokens when I animate a another elf. Um, I even ran two Dusk Wielders, the one drops to help up the elf count. Uh, this was a pretty low-to-the-ground deck with 16 lands, one of which was the Scamfar Elder Hall spell land that would make a good creature get minus two, minus two, and give me two elves. The game plan here was pretty straightforward. Swarm the field with elves, and then either Alpha Strike with Alpha Elvis Warmaster, or more realistically, uh, dome the opponent for a ton of damage out of nowhere with Scamfar Shadow Mage doing his best Grey Merchant impersonation. Uh, really interesting, if I could get the Elvis Warmaster down early, it wasn't always correct to always play all my elves out as quickly as possible. Uh, sometimes it was better to kind of sandbag a little bit to get more elves out of there, especially in more grindy games. Um, you know, I also, I totally had a game where I had three Elder Fang Disciples to wreck the opponent's hand, followed by three back-to-back Scamfar Shadow Mages to wreck, to wreck their life totals. Um, probably the sickest line of play, though, was in one game. So I, I was up against a Black Snow deck that had Draugr Necromancer. Um, it's the card rare that basically when a creature of mine dies, it goes to exile, and my opponent can essentially cast my cards in exile that died while I was on the battlefield um, using mana of using snow mana of any cost to cast them. Uh, this made my return upon the tide in my hand pretty bad since if my stuff were to die, no way for me to reanimate it. Um, since I wasn't able to get it into the graveyard, what I did do, though, was let my Elvis War Master die and um, let him reanimate it, get it on his side, and then use my Scamfar uh, Elder Hall land spell to kill my own creature and in, uh, that, that he controlled um, since you know it was on their side of the field would end up going to my graveyard and not be hit by the effect from Draugr Necromancer and then return upon Tide to get it on the play and make more elf tokens. Um, then the following turn you know, I would dome them for 11 down from 12 uh, to get them down to 1 life and then swing past all of their blockers. So that was a pretty sweet win to be able to do. Uh, my other 7-2 deck that pushed me into Platinum was a Boros Aggro deck. Um, pack one, pick one here was Runeforce Champion. I had heard from the uh, Lords of Limited podcast um, that, you know, one of them, I believe it was Ben, had done a draft where he pulled um, the the same Runeforce Champion and then just, you know, prioritized picks and the uh, uh, equipment and the runes. Um, and, you know, that kind of worked out here for me also. Um, I ended up getting a two Gold Rain picks and one Raven's Wing, uh, plus two of the white runes that give lifelink and one of the red runes uh, that gives haste and plus one plus oh. Uh, suiting up uh, wearing this equipment were two battlefield raptors among five other one or two drops. Um, frankly speaking though, I think the MVP was actually Doomscar, uh, which I picked up earlier uh, later on in the draft as well as Dwarven Reinforcements. Now, Doomscar isn't a deck you'd expect to go well in an aggro deck, but you know, in the more dirty decks, right? So I would get in early, try to get in damage with my with my cheap stuff, but they'd start to stabilize with their board. 
um, I would either sandbag my 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 mostly cheap creatures, right? Maybe hold someone back, right? Like uh, have like the two three holding on to a uh, equipment that's enchanted by the life uh, the life linking wound, um, basically letting me gain life even if they were swinging in to kind of like hold defense. And then once they play out their board, I would you know doom scar it all the way, uh, and then either you know rebuild with the equipment that has essentially power that would not get wiped away plus the runes uh, rebuild on my creatures, or you know if I had dwarven reinforcements. Uh, foretold, it was pretty cheap to get two bodies on the field quickly and start swinging back in as if nothing had happened while they had basically emptied their, their hand and their board to try to overwhelm me and my aggro deck. So, um, you know, in addition, also the extra mana from Gold Vein pick on the Raptors early on in the game uh, also really helped with, you know, giving me more mana to rebuild later on. Uh, I will say I have yet to make a truly successful snow deck in the format. Um, I think the line of picking the right balance between payoffs and the lands in the right order uh, and getting the right payoffs just hasn't really come together for me quite yet, despite how many LSV snow drafts I, I watch. Um, I also haven't had the proper blue-red giant deck, uh, which I'd really like to do at some point, especially if I can get the agar going. Um, I will say, though, I think one super un underappreciated deck is the green-white uh, go-wide deck. Maja, uh, the uncommon legendary, is super great, and it's a great reason to go into the deck. Um, and there are a lot of token enablers. You know, looking at uh, you know my my uh, either 60 or 5-3 or uh, deck, you know, the one that, that's green-white splashing black, I think it's a 6-3 one, um, you know... I had two mods in that one, but then also you have, you know, Usher, uh, the one-drop uh, boast that can make tokens. Um, you know, Clarion Spirit, I didn't have that one, but that's another great one to make a lot of tokens. Um, but I also had Beskio Sealmate, you know, the Living Weapon Equipment, uh, Elderleaf Mentor, Valor of the Worthy. Um, I wasn't super impressed by Warhorn Blast, but in comparison, I think uh, King Herald's Revenge is actually the secret finisher in this deck where you can go wide and then you swing out, basically, with this creature, right? It has to be blocked. So they either, right block it with all their stuff and kill that one big creature but letting the wide stuff go through or they only block with one but then get hit over by trample damage so um, you know, I think that's the secret to, to making this deck tick. Um, plus, you know, with Maja, you also have the Horizon Secret Synergies, where you're consistently getting a land on board, as well as, you know, Raiders Carve, where you swing in with a, with a creature, uh, with, with the Sip, uh, and get a land onto play, um, reeled out the top. Maja will just make another uh, token to, to be on defense. Um, and then the Green-White Saga that makes two different kinds of tokens and then populates essentially uh, each type of token you have. If you can get other types, right, like maybe the cats, maybe you can get a um, maybe you can get a, a treasure token. If you're really lucky, maybe get an angel somewhere. I think that's you know another great reason to go into the deck. Okay, so before we get to the constructed part of the episode, I do have to talk about the Kaldheim Arena Open, which was in sealed format. Um, as I noted before, I am not much of a competitive constructed player. You know, having to keep track of the metagame and make changes and learn the ins and outs of one deck super thoroughly just doesn't really appeal to me. Um, so I've definitely jumped at the chance to play in this limited event last weekend. Um, I went in planning to enter at most twice day one to try to make it to day two, and fortunately, I was able to do so on my first try. Um, again, I posted this deck list uh, on my Twitter, um, yet uh, yet uh, sorry, uh, Ether Vortex Pod. So definitely make sure you check that check that out there. Um, my deck ended up being like a four color base blue green deck, splashing black and white. Um, the highlight of my rares, so you know, building to seal you usually want to look at your rares first. The highlight was definitely a Kaya Planeswalker. Um, this is the three white and black for five loyalty Planeswalker with a plus one ability to put a counter on the creature, and whenever that creature dies, it gains life. It either it'll return to my hand 
hand and then make uh, a plus one plus one a uh, one one spirit. So you know, continue to have blockers to defend Kaya, uh, and also recur to creatures. You know, so I don't don't lose them out. Uh, my ne negative three on her is to uh, exile a target non-land permanent, great removal, uh, and then minus three is to cast a legendary spell for free from my hand, graveyard or exile, basically meaning that Kaya will never die at that point. Um, you know, I also had Sir Wolf, uh, the legendary 3-3 Wolf for one black green who gets bigger whenever my opponent dies uh, and can play good stuff away with a lower CMC and the number of counters on it. And also uh, Jorn, the Snow God, for two in a green that untaps my snow permanence when it attacks, um, which both, again, synergize with Kaya's ultimate. Um, I also had Reflection of Lajara, the four in the blue for the enchantment that when I cast a creature of the chosen type, um, I make a copy of it and blood... And then, um, which is like a you know pretty interesting given my pool. And I also had Bloodsky Massacre, the red black saga that makes berserkers draw me cards when they attack and gain mana. Um, plus, you know, I also had Tibalt's Trickery, but I was gonna play that. So of the rares, I definitely wanted to include Kaya, given that you know she's just an absolute bomb and sealed. Um, you know, that's a little bit more slow and grindy. Uh, and, you know, the fact that it overlapped with Sir Wolf and Black maybe want to play Jorn as well to try to go maybe Abzan. Um, my green, however, you know, was was somewhat deep with you know Mast Vandal and Path of the World Tree, as well as a Glittering Fast, Ice Hydroll, and three Sir Wolf Packmates. Um, but I needed another color to definitely give myself you know enough playables. Black wasn't quite so good. The only standouts really were Draugr's Helm, you know, the, the living equipment black land, or black black equipment. And then Priest of the Haunted Edge, which, you know, has some defensive speed and does pretty well with snow decks. And um, we'll talk about it later, but it has nice synergy with Kaya. Um, you know, white was a little bit more geared as it usually is in this format to be a little bit more aggressive with three one drops. Um, so, you know, that didn't really work out here. There was some other stuff as well, um, that, that seemed interesting, but, uh, you know, not really worth you know, going into it for. So that's where Blue came in, right? I realized between Kai and Sewolf, I likely wanted to play the long game, right? Um, I also wanted to play Snowlands, uh, you know, especially to make most events of Jorn, um, and also the Ice Hide Troll. And so, you know, with three of my six Snowlands being uh, the snow-covered islands, it kind of made sense to go in there. Um, while I didn't have a lot of great creatures in the deck, I had some pretty decent uh, defensive... Um, some pretty good defensive speed or defensive bodies early on. Um, and great card advantage, you know, with Behold the Multiverse, Glimpse the Cosmos, and Pilfering Hawk. Um, especially, and I also have some good interaction with two Disdainful Strokes and Renosaur. Um, and again, the defensive speed with Carfell Harbinger and Avi Raven in addition to the Priest. Um, now, my other Snowlands were White Black, which worked with, you know, trying to splash Kaya. And also Red Black uh, plus a Snow Mountain. But all of these kind of went into the deck because I had Path of the World Tree and I wanted all five colors. Um, I also had the blue-green uh, spell land, which, though I don't think I ever activated it. So, you know, this is kind of the deck I built. I think looking at it, you know, I might have gone another way. I could have maybe gone like a, you know, maybe an, a, a Mardu aggressive type build. Um, but I really think this is the correct one where, you know, I would be able to include the other two green uh, rares here as well, especially since, you know, generally a more snow deck tends to be like the favorite deck in sealed. So I ended up going 7-2 with the deck, right? Uh, match, and I'll go through each match. So match one, I lost to a red-green splashing black aggro deck, um, while, you know, so Wolf was able to hold off some to scary firewalkers because if they attacked and I blocked with something else, uh, so Wolf would have just grown bigger. Um, and I was able to disdainful stroke a... Uh, Amistrum Predator, the, the red-black vampire dragon that's pretty tough to beat and sealed. Um, I did get blown out, unfortunately, by a combination of Mammoth Growth and uh, Frostbite removing my blockers. So down one in the in the first match, you know, not great, but you know, still definitely have I have I have a, a 
another loot loss to give, but I have to win, or so I have to. I have another two losses to give, but I have to, you know, basically not make too many more mistakes. So match two, I won uh, versus white black aggro deck. You know, pretty aggressively slanted a lot of attacking early on, um, but then they saw my turn five Kaya, and they pretty much insta conceded at that point. So nice to see the power of Kaya. Uh, match three, I was up against a blue red deck, uh, which was led by a lot of Augury Ravens and Mistwalkers. Um, I ended up disdainful stroking a Haggy Mob. Um, I ended up going off with Joran after enchanting a land with Glittering Frost to activate Path of the World 3, actually, and wreck their board, um, which gave me the win in the end there. Uh, match 4, I went up against uh, Bant, uh, which I didn't see too much of, actually. Um, I ended up playing Wolf after Wolf after Wolf, uh, Sorolf's Packmate to draw a card, and then the next turn plays Sorolf uh, himself, uh, followed by another Sorolf Packmate, um, and at that point, I think, pretty much, I think they conceded, if not, I had beat them down pretty close to where it kind of made sense for them to do so. Uh, Mass 5 was probably my closest game. Uh, what was up against green-black elf beatdown, right? So they got a lot of early elves in and then kind of topped the curve with the with the 5-5 five, five, uh, vanilla elf. Um, you know, that that's super big. Um, they ended up getting me down to 2 life, but fortunately I was able to get Kaya up in time. And so I was able to put essentially half the vendors, block their stuff, and then because of Kaya's ability, putting uh, counters on those creatures that needed to be blocked, uh, that, that were blocking, even if they chump blocked and died, um, I was basically able to bring them back to my hand and still have a blocker to protect myself and Kaya in the 1-1 spirit. Um, and in particular, you know, putting it on uh, Priest of the Haunted Edge, which again is that uh, 04 that, you know, can tap and sack it to deal damage to, to give minus X minus X to a creature equal to the number of Snowlands I had, which, you know, I had all of my Snowlands uh, at, at some point in play, um, you know, by putting it on there, stacking it, I was able to still keep a blocker and remove their stuff and then replay it and reuse that removal effect repeatedly over the course of the game, which was really clutch there. Um, eventually, I moved, started putting stuff on Ice High Troll also um, as well. So, you know, uh, you know, I got to the point Kaya where she was able to ultimate and start and, and uh, you know, bring herself back every turn even if she died, which, at which point I needed to stop blocking to protect her since she would just come back and just start exiling things. Um, the, another key point in this game was holding up a disdainful stroke uh, to protect versus Tegrid's shadow, which would have caused me to sacrifice two of my blockers. So um, holding the disdainful stroke was also pretty key here. I ended up getting getting that win here to go four and one. Um, match six, I won versus red black berserker aggro again. Uh, Kaya was able to hold the defense for a little bit before eventually getting taken out. But then Joran came into play uh, and had the Draugr helm, uh, and then they had a, a tormentor's helm actually. They got me down to the uh, single digits of life. Though I'm pretty sure that I was able to mass vandal it away at some point. Eventually, though, I ran ashore their Immerstrom raider, um, which they had just gotten down, and was able to swing in for lethal, which was pretty nice. Uh, finally, match seven, I won versus. Oh, sorry. In match seven, I won versus red green aggro. Splashing black. Uh, their main card of note here was Toxie the Squirrel. Um, again, Kyo did a lot of work here, but I think the real piece of resistance uh, moment was casting Reflections of Lijara, naming Wolf, and then the next turn casting two Wolf Packmates in the same turn uh, to get four wolves and draw three, draw four cards. The opponent quickly scooped it up after that. Uh, match 8 was my second loss. I lost to a 4-color whiteless snow pile, um, I believe. Uh, but 
honestly, the most noble card here was Toralf the Red God. Um, putting it down, dealing three damage to whatever I put down was pretty rough. Um, I ended up getting also Color Scoot on black and could not cast uh, a Sarulf that was kind of stuck in my hand, unfortunately, as well as the uh, the Draugr's Helm. Um, and I think I also flubbed a particularly tricky block uh, where I ended up getting blown out. So yeah, uh, definitely not my finest moment there. But luckily, in match nine, my win and in, I was able, at six two. I was able to put the, to go up against a deck that had Raiders Carve and Elvis Warmaster. Not quite sure what else was in there, but um, here Jordan was the MVP. He ran into my extra mana super early, and I was able to cast Augury Raven, Path of the World Tree, Sorulf, and Renosaur over like two turns to just overwhelm them. So, this was my first time ever making day two at a limited event. Super happy about that. Uh, my first two times, you know, GP New Jersey as well as GP Phoenix, um, I ended up scrubbing out day one and ended up playing some side events. Um, but so it was a real great feeling to finally be able to make it through the day two, even if it was like, you know, an arena and not in person. Um, and also, even if I was pretty much carried by my pool and Kaya uh, specifically. But, you know, no complaining here and looking forward to hopefully doing this again in the future. Uh, now, obviously, that was day one. Come around the day two ultimately my record was just one and two um the rares of note in my pool here were blood on the snow the black wrath that lets me reanimate a creature based on the amount of snow lands i had spent to cast it um and doomscar the white wrath that can be foretold um i also had a dream devourer the demon that lets me foretell anything and grows when i foretell and radon the white god um i also had tundra fumarole the red burn spell that you know um will refund me snow mana with what i used to cast it as well as maskwood nexus the two to factory that makes my creatures all types. Uh, as a result, my pools weren't super great, right? Like, again, you want to be either in green snow, uh, which here my green was pretty weak, uh, two glittering frosts, two horizon secrets, one broken wings, and maybe ruthless you are the only cards of note here to, to pull into green. Um, and then on the other hand, white aggro wasn't really great here, being a lot more controlly, right? Like with Radon and the uh, and the Doomscar. Um, you know, I only had Battlefield Raptor and Us of the Fallen as the only low drop aggro creatures, and heuristic is you want at least six to be considered aggro. Uh, I did have two bound in the gold, which helped some, but not much else. Uh, black had some removal, also with two feed the serpents, but again, not much else of note. Um, and, you know, that's those white and black were the colors of my bombs. So all the removal, just nothing to follow it up with. Red was somewhat aggressive, but again, not nearly enough early drops to be aggressive enough, just Emma from Vader. I did have Frostbite, uh, Demon Bolt, Tuscary Firewalkers, and Squaws, as well as two Dwarven Reinforcements for some nice removal and fairly fairly good creature, like good value creatures for uh, Sealed. Um, but again, not super powered. And then Blue had Icebind Pillar, Bergstrigger, and maybe, and Behold the Multiverse, as well as the Sainful Soak, and maybe a Mistwalker that was worth writing home about. So fortunately, I was able to have three Simmered Rift Veils and the Blue, Black, and White, Black Snowlands, um, plus another Soul Island, and then the Blue, White, and Red, Black Spelllands, um, but honestly, the pool didn't give me much, um, and kind of pushed me into, like, this really slow Tapland-based mana base, um, uh, in, in two different builds, right? So, you know, best of three, luckily, since day two is best of three, I was able to try, try both of them out. Um, I played this more controlly build first, followed by a more aggro build when I decided in. Uh, the more controlly main build was an Esper build, splashing red for Demon Bolt. The idea is mostly to play blue, black, early defense, Carful Harbingers, Dream Devourer, Icebind Pillar, Mistwalker, um, as well as Bounding Gold for, for removal as well. And then the hope would be to be able to extend it into the late game with my sweepers and feed the serpents uh, for, for removal. Um, and
and then the blue-white legendary Vega would hopefully provide card advantage, and my closing win condition was really masked with Nexus, just pumping out a lot of bodies. Uh, the second build, uh, more aggressively, was Jeskai, um, double-splashing black for Blood in the Snow, you know, the Wrath. Um, I took the more aggressive elements of the of the white-red build, uh, and plus two Agars and removal, um, as well as Icebind Pillar, Behold, and Berg's Rider to kind of round it out. But again, not super happy with either of these builds. Uh, Matt's one, pretty wrecked, pretty fast, 0-2. Um, I was against a blue, black, green, splashing blue deck. It had Tegrid's Lantern to make me discard cards or lose life um, game one. And then game two, they dropped the Coma, uh, who was able to even survive my Doomscar by sacrificing his Serpent. So not much I could do there. Uh, Matt's two, I was able to get the win against what looks like a Grixis build. Uh, game one, my Vega got Raven form, but hey, that gives me a creature to attack with. Uh, and then I foretold three cards in one turn, which seemed to scare them off to concede. Um, I didn't switch decks at this point, right? Um, I, but, you know, uh, in game two, that that worked out because they ended up conceding also, for some reason, early on, when I used Carful Harbinger to foretell Behold the Multiverse. And then in match three, I also went 0-2 against uh, essentially teamer gods, uh, base blue, green, spacing red. Uh, game one, they had a Cosmia, the blue god, Alwyn, the mythic blue god, and Bergy, the red god. They also had the battle mammoth mythic, which wrecked me. Um, I'll be honest, I kind of punted this one to some degree as I was counting on Doomscar to kind of like save me and, and wipe away their board at some point, but didn't realize I'd actually lost my second white source uh, due to that red-green spell land they had blowing up my, my second white source and my blue-white spell land. Uh, game 2, a lot of the same. They had the defense of Mistwalkers early on, as well as the Ruthless U, which I couldn't really destroy without them searching something up. And they ended up getting my blue-white my blue -white spell land again with their Knotfold. Um, so, you know, I can't say to my credit, I did the same full stroke to Battle Mammoth, but uh, not, 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 not much else here. I'm getting, getting wrecked. Again, even if I did poorly day two, I'm still proud of making it this far and definitely looking forward to the next limited competitive event in Arena, uh, even if I'm not going to qualify for the uh, Strixhaven Mythic Qualifier uh, or uh, Invitational uh, you know, Weekend. All right, uh, before we close up the episode, let's talk on some constructed decks that I've been running. Now, again, obviously I'm more a limited guy than a constructed guy, but as any arena player, I probably have to play some constructors from time to time to do my daily quests to acquire gold, um, especially when I'm out of currency to play limited and don't want to spend more money at the moment, or when I'm keeping drafting things that are not in the colors of my various quests. Um, I don't like to play meta decks so much. Um, I instead opt to go for decks that have a certain feel. The, the best way I can describe it is my edge of the pants feeling of a super aggressive plan where I go all in on a strategy and sometimes catch the opponent a little bit off guard. Um, I don't like the long tail marginal value type games where incremental value get ends up winning in the end. Um, in the past, you know, that this, this kind of deck that I like has mostly been in like red red uh red blue prowess for example or maybe that Aquaria red white cycling deck um i even enjoyed you know to some degree the uh the the blue green uh um kicker deck from from uh from from Zendikar Rising to some degree, um, as well as my own custom brew red-white aggro party deck. Um, now to that end, I've actually found two and a half decks here that seem to work for me. Uh, the first deck may be actually considered somewhat meta. I'm not entirely sure. Um, it's not in the metagame you know, portion of uh, MTG Goldfish, but it has appeared in LSV's newsletter a little bit ago. Uh, it's Halvor Mono White. Uh, specifically, I'm playing a build that's more equipment-focused that Saffron Olive has been using, um, yeah, as opposed to uh, you know, as opposed to Auras to uh, you know, uh, Auras in a more 
enchantment focused. I am playing best of one, so I don't really have a sideboard here aside from some Legion Angels in the sideboard to fetch up. Um, but again, this definitely falls in line with the kind of decks I love, where I go all in aggressively from the beginning, with some surprises out of nowhere to win by, you know, having the equipped creature and then dropping Halvern and getting them for, you know, like maybe six, like 12 damage out of nowhere in the air, um, you know. So that's that's pretty great. Um, it's also fairly resilient because you know the equipment can stay around and, and get around. I also love the addition of Faceless Haven, the white oh sorry the the colorless man land uh, that uses snow mana. So playing all you know snow colored planes to, to animate that a real uh, surviving threat that can survive wraths. I've actually been able to climb the ladder with this, mostly on this deck, and make it up to Diamond Four, surpassing my limited ranking, um, which is again higher than normal for me. Uh, the second deck, you know, is definitely uh, based on Saffron Olive's deck. Uh, it's, you know, he a while ago for Against the Odds with Budget Magic, uh, he made a black-green Death Touch tribal deck that focused on Flynn the Fangbearer's ability to essentially infect the opponent to death. Um, I opted to, he, his version was black-green, but I opted to go straight mono-green that he kind of speculated about, um, using aggressive mulligans to get Finn the Fangbearer onto the, into my opening hand and then try to protect him, right, or recur him. Um, I have eight one-drop Death Touchers to do Blightblade and Moss Viper, as well as four Questing Beasts um, at four mana. Um, between those, that's usually enough Death Touching to, to, if I win and get there quickly enough, you know, turn one, play a Moss Viper, turn two, pay a Finn, get in uh, with a Moss Viper, get into Poison, turn three, you know, get in with Finn and Moss Viper, get them to six, um, and then, you know, if turn four, I can play, you know, uh, if somehow Finn doesn't get removed, then I can play the uh, the Questing Beast, you know, it can usually trample over whatever they have or, or get around whatever blocker they have. Um, yeah, that's usually enough to get him get him right up, right up to the edge. Um, now, in addition to getting you know to getting the death touchers there, I can recur dig further or recur Finn through four binding of the titans um, or two Colvori God of Kinship, the ability to search for legendary dig for legendary creatures, and as well as four Battlegate Recovery, the MDFC uh, from Zendikar Rising. That's a, either a green sort green tap land or can return a card from the graveyard to my hand. Um, you know, I also have two survivors bond from Ikoria, um, which occur two creatures from the graveyard to my hand, uh, a human and a non-human. So basically Finn and anything else that happens to be in there. Um, I also take advantage of most of my creatures having Death Touch with Blizzard Brawl and all Snow Forest to make an indestructible fighter with Death Touch. Uh, no Faceless Haven in here just because I, you know, because I'm already playing four non-Snow Sources, uh, and it's really important that I have a turn one uh, green source. I think that's super important for uh, for this deck. Um, now, you know, I... I I, I, I also have uh, some more protection in the form of Snakeskin Veil, um, giving Hexproof and a plus one, plus one counter to Finn. Um, and then Vorinclex kind of synthesizes with that to some degree, right? Um, Finn, if, I, if I'm a little bit sort of damaged, but a block I can get through, maybe I'm at six, and I can only one block I can get through. If Vorinclex is on the field, they'll basically end up, uh, you know, taking twice as much poison counters, which is nice. Um, and then also the uh, Snakeskin Veil gives double counters on there, as well as, you know, if they have removal that is more Saga-based, it requires, you know, you know, counters, or if they have a play Planeswalker, uh, Vorinclex does a pretty good job of, of dealing with that. Now, this one is definitely not as consistent as Halvor Mono White. Um, the need to aggressive mulligan to try to find Finn can lead to some non-games, quite a few non-games actually. But if I'm able to pull it off, it's one of the sweetest victories that that that, that there are that there is in the format right now, I think. And the final deck that I have is definitely one I play only when I have red quests to complete. I call it D&D, &D, uh, Dwarves and Dragons. Um, this one is built off of having seven 
seven dwarves, three Magda, the new dwarven uh, lord, um, four Rimrock knights, and two four fearless liberators. All two drop uh, dwarves that you know can be above curve in terms of uh, power and or have effects to be super aggressive. Um, this combined with three Torbrands uh, and the four mana spot boosts the damage as well. The real trick though, right? Like dwarf aggressive by itself isn't going to be enough. But when Magda generates enough treasure by my dwarves turning sideways and attacking, I can search up dragons to really help close it out. Um, I run three Gadrak, who can be a great, uh, you know, a great wall early on and make treasures of his own. Um, four Goldman dragons because treasure, and also one some four various one-offs: uh, Leyland Tyrant, Terror of the Peaks, uh, Embercleave, which Magda does search up artifacts, as well as Terror of Mount Velas. Um, the dopest thing I've pulled off so far is in the middle of combat, uh, Magda sacks five treasures after declaring attackers, and you know they're not blocking, uh, and then. Search for Terror of Mount Velas. Now, what this card does, which is not normally in standard, I think, it's one of the supplemental cards, um, but when it enters the battlefield, it grants my entire team double strike. Now, normally you have to cast the sorcery speed with seven mana, um, not what you want to do in an aggressive deck, and, you know, they can see it coming, but if you do it out of nowhere, this is like a ton of damage out of nowhere. And, of course, you know, I run 20 mountains, snow mountains, the power of frostbite, uh, to basically be a lightning bolt or lava spike um, for removal, as well as four faceless havens, which, again, super great in these monocolor snow decks. Again, not the most meta deck out there, but it's fun to do dumb things in red sometimes. Uh, in any case, with all that, I think that brings up to a wrap on the Kalos experience I've had so far. Uh, with the season resetting this season, this weekend, I'll probably hop back in next month uh, to get into the queues and build my, ra- my rank back up. Though, again, obviously I'm nowhere near getting Mythic rank for the Sealed Strixhaven Qualifier weekend. Um, any case, for next month's episode in March, uh, which Strixhaven is still coming in April, I do have a bit of time, so I think I'll do a Commander EDH deck tech. Not so which one, but hey, if you have a recommendation, let me know. Or you can pick my deck if you subscribe to Patreon. Hint, hint. Um, in any case, this podcast is coming to its resolution. Let me know what you think of your time with Cal Time so far. Uh, do so on Twitter at EtherVortexPod or via email at IntoTheEtherVortex at gmail.com. You can find Into the Ether Vortex on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And make sure you subscribe and if you can, either leave a review or share the show with a friend. Uh, any of that helps. If you want to support the show more directly and help me justify going back to a bi-weekly schedule, uh, you can do that on Patreon. Uh, my architect with all my deck lists is under the username NinjaBoy, boy with an I. Links to all of that, the podcast stores, the Patreon, the architect, all of that will be in the show notes. Uh, Into and Outro Music is provided by Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff at thecompetech.filmmusic.io. Editing and production is provided by NinjaBoy Media. Until next time, may your lands be plentiful. Not too plentiful. Pass turn. Mm-hmm.